Hello and welcome to Suds, the weekly podcast which looks at the greatest pieces of discussion, debate and insight from the Startup Daily Show live on Ausbiz, 2pm every weekday. Of course, you can also watch it on Catch Up. My name is Simon Thompson. I'm the editor of StartupDaily.net, host of the show and, of course, host of this. And I've got another great special guest as we now have every week. This week it's Jody Imam, the co-founder and COO of Tractor Ventures. Jody, welcome to Suds. Thank you, Simon. Great to be here. Now, we do a few things here. Of course, we do speak to the founders that we've spoken to or hear from the founders we've spoken to every week on the Startup Daily Show. That's the highlight of our week. But we also like to dig around. We have a look at the big news issues. We're going to talk to you about your story and we invite you to talk about your big issue, which is going to be women backing women in the sector. I'm looking forward to that discussion. But let's kick off this week with one of those things that everyone is watching. And the example was that the S&P tech sector this week dropped 19% on Tuesday. It's been going across the board all year, really. We're well and truly down. Um, There's a sense that it's getting a little bit worse, especially when Bessemer Venture Partners were talking about the Sassica of the last six months um, with the 40% drop in the NASDAQ Emerging Cloud Index. Are people getting nervous? Absolutely. Yeah, I'm talking to founders pretty much all day, every day at Tractor and being a new revenue-based finance is a new funding option. We're just getting a real surge in in founders wanting to talk to us and understand the option for their business because they're now worried about their potential of raising VC money um, and or the valuation really dropping. So wanting to put it off if they can. Well, of course, you've got to be a company that does have revenue, so you're at a slightly different path at that point in time, and we will dig into Tractor a little later on. But I don't know about you, but my highlight of the week, as someone who has cords all over the house, was one charger to rule them all. (laughs) How How epic that the EU should declare that we have to have a single smartphone charger by 2024. Are you yeah, excited? Very excited. In fact, I'm travelling today and my phone's nearly out of charge, so I'm starting to get some anxiety happening. So, yeah, very exciting. <laughs> well, we'll fix that up. But, yes, who hasn't had the conversation in the office? Has anyone got an Android charger? Has anyone got, you know, yeah. and, of course, Apple changes their charges all the time, which drives you nuts. I still feel some sympathy for all those hotels who spend a fortune on the Bose docking pods. You know, remember those? <laughs> But they had the wide one just yeah. before Apple changed it to the <laughs> small right, charger. That's right, yeah. Um, and I look, I was thinking about talking about uh, my favourite attention-seeking economy founder, Elon Musk, but really, do we want to talk about him this week? Um, are you bored with him at this stage, Yes, Jenny? yes, I am. Good. Well, let's move on because <laughs> I want to talk about you. I think you're vastly more interesting. Oh, thank you. That's very kind. Tell us the Jody Imam story. How did sure. you come to end up at Tractor Ventures? Sure. Um, yeah, so I started my career at fresh out of uni having done a marketing commerce degree um, and went into big corporate, um, as you did. That was kind of the, the option, um, which I was very fortunate enough to, to be offered graduate programs from big uh, multinational companies. But I lasted three and a half years in corporate world, I saw a whole lot of redundancies really early on, and it just it just was like a big a big alert for me not to rely on a company for my survival and my income. And that I at that point I realised I wanted to build my own business so that I could run you know have my own destiny and, and not be in, uh, under control of, of somebody else. 
Um, so I promptly uh, left corporate not knowing what I would do um, and by chance – and so I wanted to start something but just didn't know what it, w- what it would be. Um, by chance I met fashion designer Leona Edmiston and thought I would um, have a go at the fashion industry and so I ended up with her as her GM for nine years as we built that business from two stores to 25 stores around the world. Wow. Yeah, so 50 staff and just every single year it was different. I didn't intend to be there that long but every single year we, it was just a different business so it was very um, entertaining. So you learned a bit about scaling up at that point in time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we took manufacturing offshore during that time and learned lots and lots of things that I've constantly um, come back to that experience. So, but still wanting to run my own thing, I then uh, left and started a marketplace for getting small jobs done around the home and office, which was based on my own need for that as I was renovating a house in Sydney. This sounds very familiar to me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It was called Occasional Butler and um, we had no idea what we were doing when we started but learnt along the way and um, eventually three and a half years later sold that business to Airtasker. Uh, At the same time realised that growing a marketplace, um, back when marketplaces weren't really a thing yet, Mm. um, was going to take some time to actually be able to pay the rent at home. So we decided to start another business. which was a co-working space, so one of Melbourne's first co-working spaces, Depot Weight, which we ran for eight years and just closed down at the start of the pandemic, knowing that without members we wouldn't be able to continue to support all the costs. So that was a fully bootstrap business. Um, You've had these pioneering moments in your career along the way that then have become mainstream down the track. How does that feel? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's great and I think... I inadvertently learnt about having to educate a market. I didn't realise mm. at the time they were so pioneering. We just sort of jumped in. But, um, yeah, we had to learn on the run and, and that's been a theme, I think. Well, of course, you must be explaining that to founders nowadays because they're in that space that you were when yeah. you were starting off with occasional butler. Yeah, that's right, exactly. I do, whenever I talk to founders, I do get this, you know, <sighs> moments often that they feel like they're talking to someone who gets it and, you know, I'm happy to talk about all the mistakes I've made and um, that really is a, a nice thing to, for them to hear. So, yeah, and and having – after we sold Occasional Butler, I did a whole lot of work in the ecosystem, so mentoring, advising. I ran the SBE Accelerator for female-led businesses for a couple of years um, and then that's how Matt, uh, Alan and I met and, um, you know, we've done some work together in that space and um, – uh, when he came up with the idea for Tractor, he was telling me and I immediately loved it. As a bootstrap founder, I just really understood the proposition and thought it was an amazing idea. And again, we're educating the market. It's, it's new. Um, but, yeah. Uh, we well, s- do explain a little bit of that because it is a very different model in terms of capital for startups. So what is Tractor doing? Yeah, so it's revenue-based finance, which is effectively a loan against future revenue. Um, so what, what we're looking at is this... You know, the company having at least $15,000 a month in revenue, it being technology-based, so it doesn't have to be unique technology, but technology-enabled, um, and then having some sort of growth. It's on a, it's on a growth curve, but not, not a hockey stick, but a, just a steady growth curve. Um, so we're looking at the fun- fundamentals, but then also really looking at that forecast going forward. We also have an advisory uh, service as part of our offering as well. So we really get in and help founders to grow to that next, the, the next inflection point. So what have you learnt from your latest experience being on the other side and a recovering founder? <laughs> Although at the same time you are a founder that's because, right. of course, you've yeah, founded we're going Tractor. Through, yeah, that's right. We're going through – often we're going through exactly the same problems as our customers. <laughs> 
Um, and look, this is great. We've, we started with a founding team. There's a, a couple of our general partners are in the in Auckland, so we sort of started with a bigger founding team than I have in the past, um, which has been good. And we've now got, um, as of July, 17 members in our team. So. You know, within sort of 18 months, we've grown to a pretty uh, big team compared to previous experiences I've had. So that really, I guess, is is a, a big difference this time around and all very senior and all very um, experienced in, in their field. So, yeah. Um, it's well, you're just, landing it's a few goals um, in terms of the people you're investing in. Do we say investing in yeah, or lending do. to? Yeah, we do. We do say investing in. I mean, it's, in. it's such yeah. a <laughs> rethink of the traditional mm. thing. And how is it different in that aspect to sort of, aside from the fact that the bank wouldn't give me the loan in the first place, yes. going to a bank and sort of saying, hey, look, you know, I want $200,000 and I'll repay you over the next seven years? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great question. Um, yeah, I, I, we often talk about the banks and how they pretty much want your firstborn and that's just painful and it's slow and, and, and even then, um, you know, you may not even get it. So especially they just don't or understand your technology. <laughs> that's it. And they just don't understand technology companies still. So um, biggest difference is... We are very quick. Like we'll do our, we have an investment committee every day. So basically, from meeting you today, you've asked me for some revenue-based finance. We can have money in your bank within two weeks, um, and we are really taking that gamble. So it's an unsecured loan. Um, it's there's no director's fees or personal guarantees. We're really taking that uh, risk with you. Well, let's get on to our big idea because, of course, we're talking investing. So, women investing in female founders. Now, Australia, at least, I have to say, performs better than the global benchmark, which I think sits around about 2% in terms of the capital invested in female-led companies. Yep. Australia is 4.4, so yep. pat ourselves on the back, yep. but we still do have a long way to go. Yes. Give me your take as a yeah. female founder and now investor. Yes. I think the number actually might be a bit better than that because a lot of um, women, busy women, don't fill out those surveys. So I do think... <laughs> <laughs> do I'm busy think the doing numbers. the emotional labour. <laughs> at home and I can't do the survey right now. Or I'm busy juggling a lot of things yeah, yeah. And, and, and just actually investing rather than doing the survey. So, yeah, I do think that there is – it's slightly better, but still there's so so much more to go. Um, you know, there's also fresh new studies talking about how, you know, it actually makes sense for female founders, you know, to invest in women-led businesses. They make – if they if we were to contribute – if we were to invest just equally as men, then we could double the um, – global economy, you know, if, if we invested equally, women and men. Um, so I think, you know... I think you were talking a about little... a rise of GDP of between 3 and 6%, which translates yeah. into something like 25 to $5 trillion. Yeah. I mean, geez, if you're looking for stimulus right now yeah, in right. a smart way yeah, rather yeah. than quantitative easing or anything else that's yeah. been going on, yeah, yeah. Um, what a good way to do it. I know, amazing. And also that most... Uh, companies run by women actually perform better as well. So it does ROI, actually just yep. make sense. The data's yeah. <laughs> in on that one. Yeah. Um, I've had this conversation quite a lot on the Startup Daily Show, talking to some great women, um, you know, and they're pioneers again in this space, like Susan Oliver, who's yes. now looking after the Alice Anderson Fund. And yep. we're starting to see great companies. Even just uh, this week on Startup Daily Show, I spoke to Michelle Aguilar from uh, a company called Vapor. Two female engineers formed their business uh, four years ago. 
And it's checking pipelines. We're talking sewage and we're talking stormwater, you know, for the problems that happen in there. They're using AI, they're using software. And something that used to take weeks, they can now do in minutes basically with a push of a button. Absolutely amazing. Mm. And, you know, they're now taking this around the world. Sprint just backed them with a $2.5 million seed round along with a couple of others. I think Barry Wanata's Metagrove is in there, his new fund. So we're seeing this transformation What's your view on how we make it happen even faster? How do we change it? Because one of the things I think is getting more women in on the VC side of the table. Yeah, that's right. I think there's a few ways we can do it. One is education and that's, you know, the SBEs of the world and scale and there's others that have got some great programs to help help female founders get in the game to begin with Um, and then... You know, I think ed- so. Education. I think the, just the women investing in women, like, and when we do, we have to have a voice about it. So every time I make an investment in a female founder, I'll promote it. Like I'll talk about it <laughs> because I think you can't be what you can't see. Yep. And you know, we and I know a lot of women investing in women and not talking about it. So you know, I think the more we can promote the the activity that is there, the more we can build on it. So I think I was actually having this conversation this very day with uh, a prominent woman in the space about how we need to sort of basically pump up our own tyres on this front. Uh, And I think it's really important in Australia because we kind of do look at the ground, mumble a little bit and kick the dirt. (laughs) We should be shouting it from the rooftops in the way that, say, for example, Americans do um, every time. So is it that promotional side is that the storytelling side is such an important part of that success. I really believe it is, yeah. I really believe it is, yeah. Well, we're going to keep championing it here on Startup Daily on the show and the site. Uh, Always want to hear from you if you are a female founder or investor. Get in touch. Let's tell these stories. On the show this week, we had some great guests, including Nicole Cook from your old alma mater, (laughs) SBE Australia. They're doing these impact awards for female founders. They've just opened. I think the first round of nominations closes next week on the 15th. So hurry, guys, go to SBE Australia and nominate. She explained the awards to us on the show and what's happening. Here's what she said. We're celebrating 10 years in the Australian market, uh, having launched in 2012 and the first cohort in 2013. And as part of that celebration, we want to celebrate all of our alum and all the women entrepreneurs in the market who are doing fabulous things. We've got four awards open for our uh, SBA alum, including uh Global growth, which basically demonstrates that the business has gone at scale. We've got the Game Changer Award, which is around those that have actually transformed an industry with their product. So we have a lot of life sciences uh, in our, and health tech in our alumni group, as well as plenty of tech businesses that have definitely been game changers. Um, We also have um, the Leadership Award, which is for those that have given back to help other women and the broader ecosystem grow. Um, For the emerging businesses, so those that are not necessarily SBA alum, we're also wanting to recognize those with a similar category. So we have the Global Growth Award for those that are not SBA alum. And with that, they actually have an opportunity to win a scholarship for our uh, very um, established global program, both in life sciences and tech. We have an emerging business award, um, which is those that have launched an MVP product and are just getting started. 
Um, and in that category, we also have our Unsung Hero Award. And the Unsung Hero Award is something new. So as you would know, a lot of people in the industry are starting to recognize a lot of faces for those who have contributed to the innovation ecosystem in Australia. And this is award is for someone who actually goes under the radar and does really good work, either as a founder. Um, I personally know someone who was here when I first joined and she has gone on to launch four, five, six businesses and many people don't know who she is. Um, and we also have others that have contributed to the ecosystem but like to stay under the radar. And that's our Unsung Hero Award. The nominations are all open as our applications, and we uh, will be reviewing those sometime in July after the closing date and celebrating them at a very big event on the 1st of September in Sydney Town Hall, where we will be celebrating our 10th anniversary and recognizing the award winners and also launching, which I'll have more on this later, uh, our impact report, which will review all of those organizations contributing to advancing women-led businesses and assessing what we've achieved to date and what we still need to do for the future. So how good does that Unsung Hero Award sound, Julie? You're going to put yourself <laughs> in for it? You can self-nominate? Uh, uh, yeah, I, I just actually was talking about this before with Noga, who works with uh, Noga Edelstein, who works with Tractor and SBE, and she was saying, I really think that Unsung Hero Award would be perfect to be sponsored by Tractor, which I agree. So, yeah, very interesting, exciting. Well, I've got a few people in mind, and they're, as, as Nicole explained, there's a whole bunch of different awards, some for the alumna from uh, SBE over the years, but there are four other awards that any Anyone can enter, of course, provided you uh, identify as female. So away you go, get cracking on those. One person I'd like to put in for that is Dr. Sarah Crow from Four Eyes Vision. This is a foundation that is helping uh, with eyewear for uh, underserved communities to deliver eye tests and then dispense glasses basically on the spot. It's absolutely amazing. Such a clever idea. Yes, it's not a software-as-a-service company, but I just loved it and I loved getting her on the show this way to talk about it. So what she explained was how it all began. It all started when I was working in the Solomon Islands. I went to do some eye clinics there and um, the resources were extremely limited. There was really, I felt quite hopeless to do any uh, medical treatment or surgical treatment. But most of the people who attended the clinic could have had better vision with glasses. And um, I started to inquire around the village, around the island. And it turns out there's no way for people to get glasses apart from going to Honiara, which is the main island, four hours boat trip away. And you might have, might have, well asked them to fly to the moon to get glasses there they couldn't get there and they couldn't afford the glasses even if they did get there so I came home and started to think about this problem and research it and I found out that there are a billion people in the world who can't see properly simply because they can't access glasses um, this is because there aren't enough professionals to test people people can't afford to travel to where there are professionals and they can't afford the glasses even if they got there so I realize this is the largest cause of avoidable blindness in the world, you know, even bigger than cataracts and all kinds of other things. And it affects people of all ages, especially working age. It affects education and employment. So I thought something has to be done about this. I have to do something about it. And that's when I started putting my ideas into action and creating the Four Eyes Vision Kit. 
So, yeah, just imagine that, being on the Solomon Islands, needing a set of glasses, you're not ducking down to the local shopping centre and into Specsavers. You're on a four-hour boat ride to Honiara. And the fact that there is one billion people around the world who basically don't have access to glasses mm. and therefore are vision impaired as a consequence is absolutely gobsmacking. Yeah, and how what a great contribution to the planet. You know, that's just, again, women founders seeing things differently and, and really wanting to make the world a better place. Well, we can all help to do that. So I did ask Sarah, what does she need to succeed? How can we support her with this mission? Here's what she said. We've actually just started this week a fundraising campaign where if you donate, you get a free pair of reading glasses or sunglasses or accessories. So people can go online to foureyesvision.org and and donate to get a free pair of glasses. And the other thing is what we really need is help with social media and marketing to get that message out. Uh, Of course, we need funding. We're always looking for funding. It's almost the end of the financial year, so if anyone wants to think about donating, we would be so, so grateful for anything, any small amount. So what do you reckon? You're tempted. It's the end of the financial year, Jody. You'll get a tax deduction <laughs> and you'll potentially get a free set of glasses. Don't If you hear this tax office, don't ignore that bit because that's <laughs> I mean, a benefit. I but mean, that's a great deal. Isn't it a fantastic just a fantastic idea. The, yep. the engineering she put into the glasses, she explained along the way too. So basically you can adjust them. She took us through the whole explanation on the show with a pair of glasses of, you know, the convex and converse and how they work. And like I had this masterclass in glasses in front of me because <laughs> she is an ophthalmologist. And and I just thought it was so extraordinary. So I love being able to tell stories like that and then just share them with our viewers, our listeners, our readers. Yep, it's brilliant. so much fun. Um, our next one, of course, and it was another big week for raises. We, everyone's getting a little bit worried because the data for, uh, what do we guys have? March, May, May. Gosh, we're in June already. Oh, it's crazy. Um, we had the data out for May and there was a, a drop back in investment both here in Australia and more broadly in, around the world. But we've come out of the blocks this week. Of course, Go One was a big one with uh, another $100 million. But we spoke to Duncan Anderson from the EdTech startup, EdRollo, which has just done a $40 million Series B. It's helping kids study a bit better. They're kind of like a teacher's aid platform. What they're doing is taking the syllabus details around math, science and humanities and just helping the kids be better engaged, helping the teachers be more efficient in teaching. And we've all heard about the pressures that are going on in education uh, post-pandemic and even just getting enough teachers. Kids are sitting at home, not at class at all. So this is a really cool idea. And, of course, that investment, um, the 40 mil, is going to help them scale up to focus on years 7 to 10. So I just got him to explain a little bit about what they do. It all builds education resources for secondary schools. Initially, we started just in year 11 and year 12, and just with a peripheral resource. So it was almost like YouTube for VCE and HSC. Um, And then the second product was moving from sort of a peripheral resource to the core resource. Historically, the core resource has been a textbook, but now that's a kind of a hybrid resource. There might be some print, some digital. And now we're into our third generation of product, which is building for the year seven to 10 space. And that was the core reason around doing the fundraise we're confident that we are hopefully going to be able to do something similar in year 7 to 10 as what we've done in year 11 to 12, build really high-quality core resources that are used heavily by teachers and students. Have you got kids at school? I've got three and we live in Melbourne, so we, we've all been very impacted. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Say no more. 
<laughs> You've had the occasional Zoom meeting with them going, Mom, oh, in the background. Oh, God, occasional. <laughs> <laughs> it's a reminder of just how important education is, especially not only for transforming people's lives but just for the broader economy in general. Uh, as I said, he focuses on math, science and humanities. I wanted to know, are they looking international? Because at the moment they're looking at the HSC here in New South Wales, the VCE down in Victoria and the Queensland equivalent as well. We've all got these quick... It's a little bit like rail lines. We can't have a national standardised education. We have to have our own gauge. But anyway, um, he explained their ambitions. Definitely um, focusing on Australia first, um, but then we'll be looking to do international stuff after. The major focus is building resources for Year 7 to 10. Um, we want to build the best resources in markets, and one of the lagging indicators of resource quality should be the market share. So it's hard to believe you've got the best resource in market if you don't have the number one market share. Uh, to date, in year 11 and 12, the resources we've built have got the number one market share or are on track to get to number one market share. So our goal is to build the new high watermark of resource quality for year 7 to 10 for math, science and humanities for all of Australia, and hopefully get to number one market share for that. That's not the goal. That's just a, you know, one way to measure whether or not we're actually doing well. So we've got a lot ahead of us in Australia. Um, but after that, we'll be thinking about international markets. And then the really cool thing is how they do all of this. You, you know, it's nice to pull up the bonnet, isn't it, and look at a company and figure out how they put things together. I was really impressed because we're not talking about someone who's scanning, you know, the school book and putting it in a digital form. They really put a lot of thought and effort into this. Listen to how they create the syllabus that then goes on to the Ed Rollo site. This is an extraordinary explanation. One of the differences between Ed Rollo and other players is we have all of the content created full-time in-house for these new generation of resources, whereas a lot of traditional publishers, there's an author, they're external and they get paid a royalty, so they might be a full-time teacher, part-time author, whereas you're full-time in-house. We'll have a team of 10 for, say, each of your seven maths, science and humanities, there'll be 10 people working full-time in-house. It normally takes about a year to build a resource. And of that year, six months is built on research and development. And then six months is built on building. This is sort of on average. And that's another difference. So we literally spend six months figuring out what we want to build, prototyping, researching, building what we call content technology. And then we start building after six months of research and development, whereas a lot of other people will start building immediately. So we actually spend, and it's hard to know because each resource is different, somewhere between five and ten times as much time to create a resource as other people. I don't necessarily think it's five to ten times better. We'll go with best in market <laughs> is, is, is enough, but we're really hoping to make the highest quality content and we invest very heavily to try to have that be the case. So, wow, Jody, uh, a 12-month development process, six months in R&D, six months in dev, and as he said, team of 10 does this for about a year. And it's probably five to ten times more effort than most others. When you talk to founders, do you have discussions about where you can cut corners or is it build it right first time every time? Um, well, yeah, it depends, I guess, what stage they're at. We... Um we very much promote that lean startup methodology, of course. You know, you want to test and just be constantly validating with the market before you go too far. Even for us, we've got a small engineering team and we haven't built much yet um, because we've just been really listening to customers and refining our processes uh, before we actually build anything. Mm. 
Well, uh, one thing you could get to do it for you, of course, is artificial intelligence. And the National AI Centre has been recently created and Stella Solar is now running it. She is on this big... Roadshow, a little bit like you guys attracted because yes. you're currently travelling around Australia talking yes. to founders. Before I get to Stella, tell us a little bit about this and what you're doing. Yeah, we're running a series of events for that we're calling Cost of Capital. And so, again, it's that education um, thing. We want to be able to talk to lots of founders and tell them about different options of funding, not just ours, but just what we're seeing and why we like tractors and not rockets and um, just really educating and just getting amongst it and getting out of Melbourne and, and being in rooms with people. Yeah, that is <laughs> Good fun. Well, Stella's getting out and into rooms. She started off in Brisbane, I think, last week. I asked her to explain the National AI Centre and why it exists. Here's what she said. Uh, So the National AI Centre has been um, funded by the federal government to really help businesses succeed with AI. There is so much value to be had, so much differentiation to be built. How can we help more businesses succeed? In addition to this, how can we help more Australians be part of this new skills opportunity and new growth area. And on top of that, how can we help Australia's AI ecosystem thrive nationally and internationally? That is our core mission as National AI Centre, is to help business, people and the ecosystem. Yeah, so pretty impressive, pretty ambitious. And, of course, the amazing thing is that Australia is one of the world leaders in AI. So we've got enormous opportunity on this front. I asked her about... Brisbane and what was going on up there. Did you know that the World Economic Forum has declared Brisbane as one of the leading places in the world for AI robotics? Oh, I did not know, but I was in Brisbane last week and there's a lot going on there. It's very exciting. They probably used it on their state of origin team because given (laughs) that they won the game one in Sydney for the first time in Yonks last night, um, well done to the Maroons. I know Elliot, my former co-host here, will be very happy because he's a Queenslander. (laughs) But, yeah, we did ask about what she was seeing while she was up in Brisbane. Here's what she said. I just found out today that the World Economic Forum actually named the robotics industry in Brisbane as one of the world leading. How can we let more Australian businesses know about this phenomenal capability? And that's the core spirit of the listening tour that we're currently coordinating nationally. It's to surface this strength, to surface the capability and the key ask from the ecosystem is to be louder about this strength. We have a strong foundation of capability in Australia in the area of AI. Our research is strong, fifth in the world in terms of research. And our opportunity is to translate that research and strength into business impact. And, of course, ethics is a big issue every time this subject comes up. Of course, we're still seeing the fallout from 12 months ago at Google and what happened there with Timrit. And of course, they're supposed to be putting a bit of effort in, but I have been reading this week that they could put a little bit more effort in, perhaps if they really, really wanted to. But it is a big issue, ethical AI. Have you backed any AI businesses at this point in time? Uh, No, we haven't. I'm going to ask you this question because, of course, we've talked a lot about ESG uh, in the last 12 months. Do you think we'll get to a point as investors where we're asking to see the ethics behind someone who comes and goes, hey, I've got this AI business because, Mm. of course, lots of startups are putting the word AI in there because it's kind of sexy and trendy and cool and the solution to everything. Yes. 
Do we need to be asking that fundamental question at the start as investors? I think we should, definitely. Yeah, definitely. And I think we should start to measure, you know, where we can as well, like the sustainability. Like we at Tractor don't yet have impact measures in place, but it's something we're aspiring to. And so I think, yeah, we, we should absolutely be asking the question. Yeah, I think the impact uh, benchmarks, I know Giant Leap was talking about that in the last couple of weeks, are yeah. going to be part of your your standards when it comes to looking at people. So I did ask Stella about ethical AI and how they tackle it and how we should tackle it in Australia. There are so many opportunities with AI. We want to ensure that they are responsible and inclusive. And that is our opportunity moving forward. It's to use technology to head towards a better future rather than replicating any past patterns that might have had biases in them. And so we're very mindful of coming together as an ecosystem to hone in on responsible and inclusive artificial intelligence usage. In fact, Australia has a first mover advantage with the release of Australia's AI ethics framework. We were amongst the first in the world we also have amongst the largest investment of responsible AI researchers. So we have every chance to seize the mantle globally to be leaders in responsible and inclusive AI. And so imagine if we create this environment and come together for Australia to be known as a responsible and inclusive AI leader in the world. So that's a pretty good note to end on, isn't it? Sort of fantastic that we could be leaders, not just in AI, but leaders in ethical AI for the world. Yes, yes. Jody, before I let you go, I do want to ask again about the vibe of the thing. Um, as you have these conversations with founders and we are getting a little bit uncertain, I know this is not your first rodeo. You've seen downturns as well as upturns and we've just gone through this rocket. We're back on a tractor now when we might be on that tractor for a little while yet. Yes. What are you hearing and what are you saying to people? Yeah, I'm definitely hearing the, the nervousness absolutely across the board, but I um, I do think we just still back really great companies, <laughs> you know, and I think that there's, there's that conversation around as well at the moment about, you know, we really did get caught up on growth at all costs and that sort of growth metric and, and only that and really sometimes forgot a bit about the business fundamentals. And so is is the business growing at a rate that it can be sustainable? Um, so that's, that's I think, and if it is, then they're great companies and, and, you know, out of all these downturns is when the big companies, that's when they all start and um, over time they become, you know, the new dominant players, so... Yeah, think about where we were 20 years ago in the wake of the tech wreck. Jenny Marm, great to have you on the show from Tractor Ventures. Thank you for joining us on Suds. Um, Have a great week and a great time with your roadshow around Australia. Uh, Where do people go for details if they are interested? Thanks for having me, Simon. It's been really fun. Um, If They can go to tractorventures.com and all the details will be there. Excellent. All right, peeps, you guys have a great Long weekend. Uh, Happy 70th anniversary to Her Majesty. I know she kicked off the party in England last week. Australia celebrates with the Queen's birthday long weekend this weekend. So I'll see you Tuesday, 2pm, for the Startup Daily Show. Bye for now. 